Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Tonight's gospel is the shortest reading in our lectionary. The preceding verses in Luke chapter 2 were read on Christmas Eve, and in those verses they recount the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. On Christmas Eve, we heard that Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem to fulfill the government's decree that everyone must be registered according to the decree of Caesar Augustus. And that also, of course, fulfills the prophecy that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Because there was no room for them in the inn, Mary laid Jesus, the baby Jesus, in a manger. We also heard that the angels had visited those shepherds, those simple people who were watching their flock and announced to them the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the shepherds wasted no time. They quickly went to visit the newborn king. The verses which follow tonight's gospel will be read tomorrow morning, and they tell of Jesus presented at the temple to fulfill the Old Testament ceremonial law. And then a week from tomorrow, on the following Sunday, we will hear the final verses of Luke chapter 2, which record the only event in our Gospels concerning our Lord's boyhood years, that is, when he is 12 years old, Jesus is found in the temple. So tonight's reading, despite its brevity being but one verse, it speaks of three important details in the young life of the Christ child. The first is eight days are completed. The second, it says that he is circumcised. And the third is that Jesus is named. All of these are significant for us as we close out this calendar year and as we look forward to a new year. First, it is the end of eight days. According to the Old Testament ceremonial law, as you heard, it was instituted in our, in our Old Testament reading. Boys who are born to descendants of Abraham had to be circumcised on the eighth day. The timing for this rite is deliberate as it looks back to creation, and it also looks ahead to the resurrection of our Lord and it looks even further ahead to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ on the last day. At creation, God created the world in six days, as you know well, and then he rested on the seventh. During Old Testament times, God's chosen people were commanded to pattern their weeks after the creation account. That is, they are to work the first six days of the week from Sunday through Friday, and then they are to rest on the Sabbath day. They are to sanctify that Sabbath day through their time in the Word of God. This day of rest not only would serve to recharge their bodies, but also through the Word, their souls. They would then begin a new week, the eighth day, ready to carry out their tasks. 
Colossians 2 teaches that we are no longer to judge people based on Sabbath regulations because they were a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Therefore, the command to rest on Saturday is now fulfilled in Christ. And already in the book of Acts, the people began to gather on another day. That is, they began to gather on Sundays as the day of worship. And in doing so, they are observing and recognizing the resurrection of our Lord. We have continued that pattern since there is no longer a divine mandate on which day of the week we ought to worship. The apostolic custom was good for the Christians in the early church, and it is good for us today. The only mandate that remains is to go to church, to hear the word, to receive the sacrament. Therefore, on Sunday, the eighth day, God's people have continued to gather in his house to hear his saving word, to receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, to sing the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, and to pray as he has taught us to do so. And we do all of this in great joy, for we are giving testimony that Christ Jesus, who was slain, is no longer dead, but that he lives. He is triumphant over death in the grave. His resurrection means that we too shall live to eternity in wholeness and in completeness, in perfection, to all eternity when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. And just as God completed his work of creation on the sixth day, and so also Jesus completed his work of redemption on the sixth day of the week, that is, on Good Friday, by shedding his innocent blood on the cross. And just as God rested on the seventh day at creation, so also the body of our Lord Jesus Christ rested in the tomb on that seventh day. Then as the new week begins, the following day, the eighth day, Jesus rises from the dead, which begins the new creation, a new creation that will be completed when our Lord Jesus Christ returns on the last day to make all things new. We are, as we are taught in Romans 6, a new creation already by virtue of our baptism. Most baptismal fonts, including ours, is eight-sided to reflect this new creation reality that was first taught through circumcision as instituted in our Old Testament lesson. As we close out the year, we now anticipate a clean slate for the new year. We can start over. We can work on amending those things that have not gone so well for us. We can set new goals if we so desire. And we can put the pains and the sufferings of the old year behind us while cherishing the joys 
and the memories that we have made in this past year. Above all, our sins of the past year are cast off. They are buried. They are forgiven. They are replaced with our Lord's perfect righteousness. For we are made new in our baptism. The Old Testament Christians did not have the sacrament of holy baptism as we do. Instead, God added children to his covenant through that rite of circumcision. The circumcision of our Lord is the second important detail, which is found in tonight's gospel account. Jesus, by being circumcised, he subjects himself to the law. He does this so that you are released, so that you are released from the law. In fact, he fulfills the law on your behalf, and by faith he credits you with keeping the law of God. By undergoing this rite of circumcision, Jesus sheds his first drops of blood, which point ahead to the day when Jesus will be led as a lamb to the slaughter to take away the world's sin. God commanded the saints of the Old Testament to undergo circumcision for several reasons. I will give you four. First, it is God's covenant with his people, as he reiterated with Abraham. He adds people to his family through this covenant, even little babies to his family. Second, the boys receive this visible sign to remind them that as God's chosen people, from within their midst would come the Messiah who would be born of a virgin woman. Third, even through the conjugal act between a husband and a wife, this can now illustrate the hope that God was going to fulfill his promise to restore his creation and redeem his people. And finally, shedding, the shedding of blood pointed the people ahead to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus would make on the cross to atone for the sins of all people. Now in the New Testament era, we live according to these words and promises of God, which are recorded in Colossians chapter 2. It is written, In Christ you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. As far as reading from Colossians 2. And what this means is that circumcision is no longer commanded, for we now have holy baptism. We enter the new year recognizing this reality, that our sins are forgiven, our debts are canceled out, and God has now made us alive in him. We enter the new year 
receiving the body and blood of Christ for, the, for, for our forgiveness and for our great benefit. For in this sacrament we are united to him and even to the saints who have gone before us and now rest from their labors. Finally, Jesus is named. That is the third important detail that is found in our gospel. And you too are named. In your baptism, God called you by your name. And the name of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit was placed upon you. This becomes your identity, that you are a child of God, that you belong to him, that God's name is placed upon you. You are adopted into his family, which means that Jesus is now your brother. And this name that is given to Jesus is significant, for it means Savior. He is born to save you. When we think about this past year, we may think about all sorts of ups and downs that we have experienced in our health or our relationships, our jobs, and in our lives. We witness ups and downs in our church, our community, the nation, and the world. But in the end, no matter what comes our way, we still remain children of God. And those sins that you have committed this past year, Satan would have you believe that those sins have now become your identity, that you are a cheat, a fraud, an immoral person. But that is not who God says you are, because your identity is not found in the sins that you have committed this past year. Instead, your identity is found in, who, in Christ, who you are in him. Those sins of this past year have been washed away, and you, having received the absolution and about to receive the body and blood of Christ, will enter into the new year with a clean slate, that you still belong to our Lord. He loves you, and he forgives you. We look forward to the new year, not knowing what the future will hold. We wonder if we will live another year. What will happen to those whom we love? How many changes, whether for the better or for the worse, will happen in the coming year? But our confidence is not found in what we can control or determine or even predict. Instead, our confidence is found solely in Christ, whose birth we continue to celebrate this Christmas season. He knows our future. He gives us a hope, a true hope, because our Lord Jesus Christ lives and he reigns. We belong to him. We are in God's good hands, and he, as he has promised, will take care of us until we join him in the gates of paradise. Thanks be to God. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.